Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce our next guest. He is the executive director at College Hockey Incorporated. Please welcome Mike Snee, everybody. Woo woo. Hey, Adam, how are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. Excited to have you on the pod. And I always like to start things off is where did sports begin for you, whether you were a player? Uh, as a kid or just going to sporting events, you know, with friends and family growing up? Uh, well, I played everything growing up. Uh, my favorites were uh, baseball and hockey, but I also played played basketball. We even played some soccer, even though it was back in the 70s and there wasn't much <laughs> soccer where I was growing up. Uh, played a lot of football, but football was uh, never my, my favorite sport. I just kind of begrudgingly played that when that was the sport my friends wanted to play. <laughs> um, and that was all growing up in Duluth, Minnesota. Um that was okay, but certainly it wasn't going to be something I was going to be doing um, for a paycheck at some point in my life. So, um, so played everything. And then as a kid, I uh, also followed everything. Really loved um, <clears throat> the Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota North Stars, the, um, and the UMD Bulldogs hockey team. So uh, um, fan and uh, fan and player. And, and now I, I actually enjoy following like the cultural side of sports too. And just what teams matter and what they mean to their fans and, and just observing sports from a cultural standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you talk about growing up in the Minnesota area. I mean, it has a rich history. You have football, you got baseball, you have hockey. Uh, just talk about, you know, being around, uh, you know, professional sports as a kid and just, uh, was that an impact on you going into the sports industry for a career? I would say what was an impact on me was being lightly prepared for a career once college came to an end. I uh, went to St. Thomas and St. Paul and great school <laughs> and, and, and I enjoyed it, but I, I didn't do a whole lot of like interning or career searching while I was in college. And then suddenly one day I graduated and <laughs> uh, I was, I was partly naive, but I was also motivated by, wanting to do something I like. So I uh, love hockey and baseball are my two favorites. So I, I called every team in, in town, but I really called uh, heavily called the North stars and the twins and uh, got a, got a break, kind of a timing break at the North stars. They just had some new staff hired and, and, um, and my call came at the right time and they offered me an unpaid internship back in the summer of 91. <laughs> and that, that was my first job, I guess. And then, uh, then I could say you could draw a connection from that internship to pretty much every single thing I've done in the past 33 years from a work standpoint. Yeah. And talk about those early days with the North stars and how, how impactful, you know, whether you're an intern working part-time, how important, you know, was that experience for you and any young professional looking to break into sports, you know, those lessons that you learned early on. Oh, it was everything really. It was, um, you know, being, being new to the work, working world. It was, it was eye-opening for me. I learned something. I learned a lot of things every day, actually. <laughs> um, so that, that was helpful. But what I also learned, and I think I can look back on this now and say I learned it. I don't think I knew I was learning it then was because I was fortunate to find something in a field that I really truly enjoyed. Then, then because you enjoy it, you know, you excel at it. You, you, you do, extra you, you do whatever it takes I guess to excel at it because you're really motivated by it you're really enjoying it you get a lot of satisfaction out of it and then <clears throat> because you do well at it then I think you know you uh 
you, you get opportunities that follow. So um, that, that, that time at the North stars, it was only nine months. Um, some wonderful people there that I met was able to learn from. They're still friends to this day. Um, that really set the stage for certainly for my, first real job that was an internship at the North Stars my first real job was at the Minnesota Timberwolves um, but it set the stage for that job and then I can like I said earlier I can trace what I'm doing today I can absolutely draw a straight line right back to my internship at the North Stars and whether it's in sports or whatever it might be in um, I, I would say just starting off working in something that I like so much um, really set set the foundation for me yeah, for sure. And I love that. And what should interns, because obviously internships are very competitive. Uh, there's a plethora of opportunities out there. Um, so talk about what interns should, you know, take away or do so that they stand out, you know, maybe in that first opportunity or even as they're applying to other ones to make sure that, you know, you're interviewing for a potential full-time job as well. It's whether it's paid or not. Uh, you want to use that as a interview to the next step opportunity, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not a human resource expert, so I will say when I got that internship, I think the whole world of internships was a little less advanced than it is right now. And I, I have <laughs> sure. a couple of, I have uh, my oldest two children. One is in college. One is just out of college. They have gone through that process and it certainly seems like it's a lot more uh, just uh, like, you know, a lot more advanced, uh, um, than it, than it was back in 1991. Um, but I, I would, I would say a common theme between what helped me then and probably what would help a young person now is, uh, I communicated, I followed up. Um, I followed up again. I thanked people, uh, you know, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty basic, easy stuff, but I think stuff that was probably worthwhile and impactful in 91 and it's worthwhile and impactful today and probably will always be worthwhile and impactful and and whether you know what you know so many changes in technology today and how we communicate so that's noteworthy but i still think just the importance of professional appropriate um communication makes a big difference so so to answer your question in a very long way i would say (laughs) make sure that you're uh, make sure that you're 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 communicating, whether that means you're asking for an opportunity to, to talk with someone and maybe in just an informational interview setting to find out what internships are available and how might I make myself a candidate for that. And then all the way through the process, just continuing to communicate appropriately. And then at the very end, of course, you know, following up with a thank you and then following up after that. Yeah, that's huge. And for a while you were with the Minnesota Wild for nine years as director of corporate sales. So talk about that experience, what it was like to be on the corporate sales side within the NHL and talk about the, those nuances and what you did on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the, the Minnesota Wild was a really cool opportunity for me. Um, again, being, being a huge hockey fan. And as a child, it was the North Stars. And then that was my first internship. And then, we had a pretty, uh, probably the seven worst years in the history of our state for the seven years <laughs> where between the North Stars and the Wild. But, um, but then the Minnesota Wild came back in, in October of 2000. And again, back to my, my straight line, back to my job at the North Stars, I got to know a lot of people in the hockey world and, and, and locally. And some of those people were involved in the very, very early days of the Wild. And so that connection helped me get 
um, get one of the first jobs at the Wild in the summer of 1998, and I'm forever grateful for that. And so, again, as a young person, getting to work in something as special as that, you know, being part of the of the team that's bringing the NHL back to Minnesota, and then more importantly, the way that team, the Minnesota Wild, the way they chose to market themselves from this um, really embracing all levels of hockey in the state of Minnesota and just making the sport itself better in our state simply by existing. That's what the Minnesota wild did. That's what they still do. Um, so just in general, being part of that and being around those people started with the owner, Bob Nagley, uh, Jack Sperling, Todd Lywicki, Matt Maka. There were, there were a lot of people there that knew what they were doing that I had the opportunity to watch and learn from. Um, and then my roles were really twofold there. I was involved more in ticket sales in the very early beginning, specifically before they played and part of the process of having uh, the season ticket deposits, I guess you'd call it, and allowing and people uh, converting their deposits to season tickets. Excuse me, I'm gonna, <coughs> excuse me. And then, um, and then I transitioned right when the team started playing into that corporate sales role and, and spent um, the remainder of my, I guess, seven years there um, selling sponsorships and working with, uh, working with most of the sponsors of the team. It was a lot of fun. It was very satisfying. The team <clears throat> has always had success at the gate, has always had success as a business and has had a lot of success on the ice and um, fun to be part of that. They still haven't yet won a cup yet. That's coming sooner than later, I think, but, um, but my, my time there was, uh, just like my time at the North stars, it just meant a lot to me and was, was very, uh, very important in who I am today. Yeah. And you talk about the corporate sponsorship side, uh, you know, when it, <coughs> it may not be necessarily, uh, when you're selling ticket plans, uh, to the common fan, but bringing in those businesses, signage and all the things that goes in, uh, to the sponsorship. So how important you know, is that included with, you know, a sports franchise? Oh, it's very important. So, uh, you know, they, uh, as much as they're an emotional thing and they are, they're an important part of the community and it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's more meaningful than just, a, I guess, a gas station at a, at a, at a corner. <laughs> um, people care about it, but in the end it's a business and it, it needs to generate revenue and, and be able to survive as a business. And, and, the North Stars, you know, that was one of their challenges. They had a challenging business structure in part, I'd say in part, I'd say primarily because they always had ownership challenges. Um, ownership changed hands, hands a lot. Ownership wasn't always local. Ownership wasn't always invested. Fans felt that. Sponsors felt that. The media felt that. So it made it tough for them to do business. And then in the end, one of their owners, um, I won't bring his name up because it's not a not a wonderful name here in Minnesota. <laughs> but one of their owners decided uh, that business would be better if they if they pulled the team away. So I uh, I as a fan saw what can happen when a um, when a team isn't flourishing from a business standpoint. So um, it's been very important at, at where I've worked. Of course, it's important at every team, but um, you know the, the Minnesota Wild really have a, a sound um, crew of people. They did when I was there. They do now. And it, it just shows itself and that building's always packed and and um, and companies love being associated with it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, sports, it's been said before, and I can't say it enough, you know, they say sports is the greatest unifier, right? 
it brings everybody together. I mean, and you know, which today is probably a great time to figure out a way to bring everybody together. And, and uh, there aren't many things right now that, that are, are, uh, are uniting everybody, but when a team does well, uh, people are getting united behind that, regardless of how you might vote or what you might think about a certain topic or something. Yeah. So yeah, sports definitely is a unifier. Exactly. I love it, Mike. So in your role now, you're executive director of College Hockey, Inc. And I think that's pretty amazing. It's a nonprofit uh, to elevate and get more athletes involved in the game and educate them, you know, how they get to the pro level, whether that's whether they're starting in high school, at the collegiate level. Uh, so talk about that role and the mission between or the mission of College Hockey, Inc., so we're a small three-person nonprofit, um, and we were started about 12 years ago. Um, unlike, I always compare it to football. Football is, is so straightforward and so <laughs> easy to understand if you're a player. You just play for the football program in your neighborhood, and then when you get to high school, you play for the football team at your high school, and then if you're good enough, you go play at the colleges that are recruiting you, Okay. Um, and you don't need to really think about it much. You just need to sign up and play. And for a hundred different reasons, hockey is the opposite of that. It's uh, challenging for families to understand exactly what might be next for their kid. I should say challenging in many areas. There are a few areas where it's much less challenging, uh, where it is more like football. And, and then there are many areas where it is, it is more challenging. So uh, because of that, some young players, especially young male players, can get steered away from or pushed away from college hockey. Um, and so they created our organization to make sure that all young aspiring hockey players know um, just how good college hockey is and I guess how to end up playing college hockey if you're a good enough hockey player to do it. That was why we were started. We have evolved since then, and I would say now we are a college hockey advocacy organization. We still do what I just explained and what we were created to do, but we also do a lot more what I'd call storytelling and celebrating. So we, we, um, there's a lot of wonderful things happening within college hockey. We want to make sure people know that. And then the part that I think we get a lot of attention for, relatively speaking, but um, part of what I really enjoy and it's very rewarding is working with schools that are interested in potentially adding women's or men's division one hockey. Mm. And we partner with the national hockey league in, the, in that project and have been able to um, uh, find a few schools or be part of finding a few schools that have, that were interested. And now they've added hockey. I think Arizona state is the one that most people point to uh, wonderful success out in the desert. They just opened a brand new arena this year. They started their program back in, in 2016, I should say they started their NCAA Division I program. They had a very successful club program prior to that. Um, but there are other schools that we are working with um, and have worked with about adding women's or men's Division I hockey. So those are the, those are the tasks we, we uh, tackle every day. And um, I love it, uh, having loved college hockey since I, as long as I can remember. It's a privilege to be able to to work in this game and to be part of a team that's trying to just do a, a little bit to make it even better than it already is. Yeah, for sure. And talk about the challenges. Um, I know there's probably many that 
uh, face uh, getting to the professional level, but why is why does hockey face more obstacles for a collegiate athlete to get to the pro level? Well, just in general, the sport itself is uh, frequently not connected with with um, community or with schools. You know, unlike football. You know, I mean, football is like the most pure in that way. You know, where. <laughs> It almost entirely is connected with a, a community, meaning you play for your park in your neighborhood or your community mm-hmm. football association, whatever, and then you play for your high school. Um, basketball, baseball, volleyball, um, they're, they're maybe a little less so, but still very much that type of streamlined model. Play as a kid in your town, play for your high school, go play for college if you're good enough. <clears throat> in hockey, it is uh, privatized. It's... Um, it's club oriented in many places, not everywhere, but in many places. Um, so you begin kind of moving around as a, as a young person much earlier than you would in other sports. I mean, other sports, you don't necessarily do it until you're an adult and you go off to college. But in hockey, um, people start kind of looking around when they're as young as maybe 12 about, hey, where, where, where should my kid play? And they literally might make a like a major life decision where they live or where they go to school based on you know where they where they they're going to play hockey when they're twelve or thirteen. So that that starts it off uh, on an, on a unique foot, I'll just say. And then there's uh, the existence of many many levels of junior hockey. Um, and then within the junior hockey world, and junior hockey is for players ages sixteen to twenty. Within junior hockey, there are um, some levels that are eligible for college, and but then there are some levels where they're not eligible for college. So, mm. and that is really only a, a, a part of the men's hockey world. That's not part of women's and girls hockey. So, um, so there are young boys, literally like sixteen-year-old boys, who might choose to play a level of junior hockey that the NCA considers not. They consider it professional, so therefore they're not eligible. <clears throat> so those young players are are uh, losing their eligibility to play college hockey. They might know it, and maybe they just don't think highly enough about college hockey, or they might not even know it. They might be making that decision without knowing it. We want to make sure that those families know it, and and uh, and if they're interested in college hockey, they know what they can and can't do to remain eligible. And then I just want to make a distinction: women's hockey doesn't. There is not. Uh, that level of junior hockey and women's hockey. So 16-year-old girls are eligible for college hockey, even if they don't know it. And that's not the case for um, necessarily for, for all boys. Um, and then the, the junior hockey, as I mentioned, the, 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 uh, the window goes up to age 20. And many junior hockey leagues are college eligible. So you can play junior hockey, okay, and then go play college hockey. So unlike mm. those examples I used with football, basketball, uh, volleyball where, you know, you do it. And then when you graduate from high school, you go right on to college and you start doing it right after high school. That's not the case in college hockey. You might go to college hockey right after high school, but some players will delay that two or three years because of junior hockey. So all of these things I just mentioned, you throw them all together and it just creates a head scratching um, challenge for many, many parents it doesn't need to be as head scratching as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, some parents, some parents take uh, something that's kind of confusing and make it even more confusing. <laughs> um, but, but it's just not as clear as if, let's say, somebody's child was a, a football player. Is there? And I'm sure, obviously, the competitive uh, on junior hockey is 
I'm sure is incredible. And that's why is there is there a some main indicators why an individual would choose to do junior hockey versus trying to play hockey at the college level? Uh, I would say the, the main reason would be cultural. Um, as I've learned, the notion of um, high-level competitive developmental athletics, such as in, in football, basketball, hockey, baseball, and doing that at your school, whether you're doing it at a college or whether you're doing it at a high school, is a very American-only thing. Um, so if you're a high-performing soccer player in Europe, you're not playing for your high school and, and you're not playing for your university. And I've learned in Canada, just culturally, junior hockey has, has always had an important role in the development of their hockey players and just in their hockey culture in general. And so young people growing up in Canada and uh, Europe um, grow up with a different outlook on college, or I should say they can, they might grow up with a different outlook on college hockey than someone in America. And I'm a good example of that. I grew up in Duluth. I grew up in, the, in, in a place where college hockey is very important. And, and that meant a lot to me and that meant a lot to all of my friends. And so those, those friends I had that were good enough to play college hockey, they played college hockey because that's what they grew up seeing, <laughs> believing, aspiring to. And because hockey is such an international sport with clearly a heavy Canadian and a heavy European presence, um, those players just don't, one, they might not know enough about it. And two, their perception might not be the same perception I have about it. And then also they have aspirations at times to, to do something in, 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 you know, that was more meaningful in their culture. So I think it really just boils down to um, sometimes it's, it's a decision made by the head, but sometimes it's a decision made by the heart too. Yeah, for sure. And talk about, you know, how, how that can, uh, or how the NHL, have you guys had conversations or anything like that where the NHL can help either at the collegiate level or even the junior hockey level to help bridge that gap uh, for athletes that play hockey? Yeah, the NHL has been tremendous from, from the start here. We're partners with them on our Grow the Game efforts. I mean, the, the NHL isn't – I think the NHL – well, I don't think. I know. They, they love all hockey, whatever mm -hmm. it is to – get more kids playing hockey, get more people following hockey, loving hockey and so on. And, and as I mentioned in different parts of the world, hockey is just delivered differently. And it's and what's meaningful in one area might not be meaningful in another. And the NHL embraces all of it, which they should. Um, but in the United States, they have been very supportive, very supportive of our efforts to grow college hockey and to find more schools interested. And I think Arizona State's really an A plus example of that. Um, and, and the support that the NHL has, has, has given to our efforts to do feasibility studies for schools like Arizona State to add college hockey. And then every time a school does add college hockey, as, as much as it's a great place for high-level aspiring players to continue their development and maybe reach the NHL, just as importantly, there's all sorts of young people that are now going to be exposed to the sport. And that college hockey team might be what it takes to either turn a maybe a 19 year old freshman into a hockey fan. Okay. Or if we, and if we turn that 19 year old freshman into a hockey fan, when he or she is a, a parent with a five-year-old, maybe they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get my, my son or daughter involved in hockey. 
Um, so it's part of a long-term, I think, kind of business plan of just growing the sport in our country and creating more of a hockey culture. And, you, you know, you see that with, you see that with college hockey. I'm part of that. I love hockey in part because <laughs> of college hockey, but I grew up in Duluth where there is college hockey. What if you're growing up somewhere in, in Oklahoma where there's not college hockey? What if we could someday, you know, uh, get to a point where the University of Oklahoma had college hockey? Yeah. And I think what would follow would be a lot of kids and a lot of people in, in the state of Oklahoma, um, you know, wanting to play hockey or wanting to, to follow hockey. Yeah, that would be awesome. And it, like you mentioned, uh, just like the football, it, it, you know, college football, college basketball, baseball, there's a certain presence. You know, we just finishing finishing up March Madness and the excitement is crazy uh, on both the men's and women's side. So uh, to create that label, to create that excitement on the hockey side would be awesome as well, right? Yeah, and, 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 and I want to make a – it is created on the hockey side. It's there. <clears throat> it's just not quite, um, like I said, border to border and coast to coast in our country. Where there is college hockey, that's happening. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and I grew up in, in a place where that's happening. It's just not happening in enough places, and that's our long-term project is to, is to have it happen in more places. And the NHL and the NHL Players Association – have been very supportive of our efforts to uh, to try to make that happen. Of course. Now you mentioned uh, the focus on Division One. Do you guys also focus on uh, the other divisions, D two and D three schools, or mainly D one? When it comes to growing it to finding more schools, it's mainly a Division One focus. We have done a few things in the Division Three world. <clears throat> when it comes to talking to young players and their parents about college eligibility. Uh, because our focus is a bit of a younger player, 14 to 16 mm-hmm. and trying to provide them with information about how to remain eligible from an amateur standpoint and how to remain eligible from an ac- uh, academic standpoint. That is, you know, that's what, that's agnostic in terms of uh, if you, if you decide like, man, I'm, I'm, I love what I see in college hockey. I want to be part of it. Then ultimately where you end up in college hockey is just going to be a, <clears throat> a, a function of, how good you are. Okay. So um, if a player becomes intrigued at college hockey when they're 14 and they stay eligible and they end up playing division three hockey, then we're, you know, we, we like to think that we're also serving division three college hockey as well. Yeah. It's uh, funny because uh, my school that I went to Stevenson university has a women's ice hockey team. I would, it would be really awesome if we could get the men's uh, to get to, have ice hockey on the men's side as well, but uh, that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, there. I'll tell you, when I was a kid, there weren't any schools that had women's hockey programs. So yep. <laughs> <clears throat> to see the growth of women's college hockey and just you know women's and girls hockey in general, it's it's been um, it's it's been such a, a wonderful part of hockey since uh, since it really t- took off. I know. Here in Minnesota, it really began to flourish in the mid-90s mid when um, the high school league started sponsoring it. And uh, we had a big boom of arena building back then with the intent of creating more ice so that we could get more girls to play the game. And then the 98 Olympic, uh, Olympic gold medal was huge. And and uh, we had a couple of very iconic players 25 years ago, Chrissy Wendell and Natalie Darwitz, that really opened some eyes and um, – and, uh, 
and I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm glad I didn't miss out on that. I'm glad that, that I was able to just see that happen. Cause I do recall when it was still odd to, I'd show up at the park as a kid and there'd be a girl playing and, you know, it was, she was welcome, but it didn't happen often. Okay. At least I welcomed her. I'm sure she wasn't welcomed by everybody, but it didn't happen often. But now, you know, it's just such a, a normal thing and a wonderful thing to see. Of course, of course. And talk about the overall, overall growth of hockey, whether that's on the youth side or even at the uh, high school level and just talk about, you know, its growth in the recent years and, uh, where do you think it's headed in the near future? Sports certainly growing, and a lot of that credit again back to the National Hockey League, and then also the USA Hockey in the U.S. at least, um, with with the NHL's decision to 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 really move into what one might call you know newer hockey territory. That's about thirty years ago. I, the Kings were around, but that was about it. But this <laughs> explosion into so many um, southern and and Western and Southeastern markets, almost all of whom have, have been very successful and, and all of them have been very successful in getting rinks built, getting kids to play the game and, and, how, and create their own unique hockey cultures in those areas. So the, I don't, I don't see that stopping. And if anything, with the latest expansion teams in Vegas and in Seattle, I think it's only going to continue. And, and, uh, you know, we're about to have the, uh, NCAA men's frozen four, and it's going to, going to occur for the third time in Tampa, Florida. That's awesome. And, yeah. And, and it, it wouldn't have been too long ago that somebody would have rolled their eyes at you. If you had suggested that we have the college frozen four and uh, the men's frozen four in, in Tampa, Florida. So um, <laughs> there are, it's not hard to find things that you can point to and say, this is another example of hockey's growth in the United States. Yeah, I love that. And what advice do you give parents who, you know, have athletes in hockey that, you know, want to go as far as they can, want to continue to play? What advice do you give those uh, individuals? First is understand just when things happen. Okay. And I can almost say with confidence, things happen later than you think they do in terms of when the recruiting process starts when a player commits to a school and when they'll go after that school. So <clears throat> realize that, um, that, uh, what maybe you think is, uh, is, the, is a late bloomer is actually normal. Okay. <clears throat> and then two, it's less about the place that your, your uh, player plays and more about the player, him or herself, meaning one, do they, do they absolutely love it? Is it their aspiration to play college hockey, to play pro hockey, or is it your aspiration um, it's got to be their aspiration, okay? And then secondly, are they willing to do what it takes, uh, you know, from from a, from a hard work standpoint to get the best out of their ability? And what I've found is for a variety of reasons in hockey, again, in hockey more so than other sports, but, certain, but in hockey is that a, a parent can get a little too involved to the point where they start to try to manipulate everything, thinking that that's going to have a big bearing on their son or daughter's success. When <clears throat> in fact, uh, if you look at the statistics as a whole and just step back, um, it is less about the place and more about the player. And I'll even use that from a college hockey standpoint. You know, there, if you go to play college hockey, there's no guarantee you're going to make the NHL. Um, college certainly provides an environment that allows a, a, a young hockey player to reach his or her own full potential. 
But it also allows an environment for an unbelievable memorable life experience to get your degree, to develop lifelong friends and a network and so on. And, and it's really the other aspects outside of the hockey. Um, and college hockey hasn't cornered the market on having great players move on to the NHL. You know, trust me, Connor McDavid did not play college hockey. Okay. But college hockey, um, the environment allows you to thrive, but it still is about the player, you know? Um, so I would say, I, I guess I would say to a parent is, is um, this might sound counter to what someone would think, but um, don't be so focused on the long-term be just more focused on right now and make sure that, that your next practice or your next game is your best. Um, enjoy the heck out of this year's teammates and whatever you're playing for collectively this year, care a lot about that. And, and the next level will actually take care of itself. If you just make sure that you're getting better every day, <clears throat> there's a lot of pressures out there to have you think otherwise, whether it's paid professional help, trying to, trying to, you know, give you advice or whether it's uh, <laughs> social media telling you what you need to do, or just the pressure of social media. Um, but, um, but I would, I would say to as best you can just relax, allow your uh, son or daughter to enjoy the experience of being a hockey player. And just trust that if, if, if it's meant to be and they're, they're good enough, then, then um, it's not really going to happen because of something you did when he or she was 12. It's going to be because of something they did their entire, their entire, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a young hockey player. That's so huge. Having the pants more, more involved in the athlete. I mean, that's so true. You know, the parents, get overly involved they want scholarships and it's like it's sometimes that the athlete loses interest and that's when it it gets to a point where it's like if the player wants to play let him play maybe maybe take uh the hands off a little bit you know <laughs> um uh, you, you you said it perfectly i think um um for good and bad youth athletics has become a shared experience with the parents and, um, and that's cool because I'm a parent and I, mm -hmm. I see the parts of it that are cool, but it also, there can be a big negative to it when it becomes <clears throat> such an investment in money, time, uh, family identity, and that, um, that suddenly it just takes on a different look than really, than really it should. And I wonder what's next, you know, there, there still are a few things out there. I often talk about skateboarding and how skateboarding still has a lot of the purity of, of a kid who, who loves it. And the kid goes to the park on his own or her own and just tries tricks and fails and tries tricks and fails and eventually gets that trick. And, <clears throat> and none of it was overseen or guided by an adult. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, and then the kid goes home at the end of the day. And I wonder, is there going to be a point where, you know, you go to a skateboard park in 20 years and every kid has their personal coach and every kid has an advisor and, and it's all, you know, is it going to look different? And you might laugh at that right now and think that's crazy, but I bet if you went back to a, an ice arena back in 1978 and said that, you know, someday this is what hockey's going to look like, you'd shake your head and say, no, it's not. But it's, it's, it has, it's still a wonderful thing at its core, but there are some aspects to it that, that take away a little bit of the shine. And, um, and, but, uh, but, uh, but I'd like to say a lot of that is elective. If you, if you're a rational parent that has a, has confidence in, in, in yourself as a parent, you know, you don't have to participate in most of the madness. Yeah, for sure. I like that. And uh, before I let you go, what are some exciting things or projects that uh, College Hockey Inc. is working on or things that you guys are looking forward to help grow the game of hockey here in the near future? 
I'd point back to that feasibility study project that we have with the NHL and the NHLPA. We're constantly talking with schools uh, about considering the idea of adding women's and or men's hockey. I mean, we always want hmm. both, but um, any kind of hockey is good. Uh, I'll be frank. We get told no a lot. We get not <laughs> interested as an answer a lot. And that's okay. We'll just keep keep looking for the the schools that are interested. And we have found, found a handful of schools that are interested. And I think that we're going to have some some good news here in the remainder of 2023 with um, hopefully one and maybe even two schools announcing that they'll be adding hockey. We'll see. There's still some work to do on that, but um, that's a lot of fun. And then um, this past year, Lindenwood added a men's hockey program to go along with their women's hockey program. That was exciting to see Lindenwood's down in St. Louis. So now there's uh, there has been women's hockey at that school for women's division one hockey for a while. Now there's men's division one hockey at Lindenwood. They've always been a strong club hockey program. And then this year, I'm I'm very excited to um, to see Augustana, uh, which is a school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They're building a beautiful, uh, like seventy five million dollar plus arena, nice. and um, and they will play their first game this October. So. <laughs> um, another addition to their men's only for now, but, um, but another exciting addition to college hockey. That's awesome. Now do the athletic directors reach out to, to you guys, or, or do you guys also reach out to a variety of schools to say, Hey, would you be interested in adding, you know, hockey to your sport? What does that look like? Well, that would be great if athletic directors contacted <laughs> us and if there happen to be any that are, uh, are listening, uh, Feel free to contact us. <laughs> that that would make for a great day. Uh, but generally, I, I would say it's a it's a cold call type of an environment. Maybe a warm call sometimes. Um, and um, and as I said, usually it, it usually doesn't end up with the response we want. But every now and again, <laughs> you find one, and it just feels like one of those projects where <clears throat> just keep working hard at it and being um, being persistent. And every time a school adds, you know, if you go back to Penn State, which Bill Pagula Arena and added hockey now, uh, I think it's now 11 years ago, and then Arizona State. And then, as I mentioned, Lindenwood and St. Thomas mm-hmm. is elevated to Division One, and they're going to be building a building. And Arizona State is adding. Other schools have also built beautiful buildings recently. This Sacred Heart, Connecticut this year, Colorado College. I don't want to miss any. Bentley, um, um, multiple schools just going back over the past decade or so. So what co- the impact college hockey is making both impact on the NHL impact on their campus impact on the sport is increasing. And I think just, you see more of these stories and, and if we can just make sure that schools see the success, let's just take Arizona state as an example that they're having and how, how impactful and meaningful the sport is at their school and to their students and to their alumni that that will help us, get that next school to be interested and maybe that next school wasn't interested a year ago but they've seen what's happened at arizona state they're going to see what's going to happen at augustana and that's helping our cause and and just getting that next school to happen yeah the growth of hockey is here it's not going anywhere and i know uh you're busy you're actually gonna be doing some baseball practice tonight before you head out to uh, the posing for so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like uh, indoor baseball practice in early April, but uh, <laughs> that's what we're faced with. 
uh, so we, we don't, spring has not arrived yet. So uh, <laughs> we'll be hitting ground balls in a gymnasium. I love it. But before I let you go, one last question here. Uh, for any advice who, uh, for those who want to work in hockey, get involved, uh, what advice would you give to those? Uh, start uh, however you can. Uh, you know, in my case, I was an unpaid intern. I did everything, most of which was generally back then licking envelopes <laughs> for large group mailings. I mean, literally, it was, it was pretty tech-free back then. Um, but um, <clears throat> take any opportunity you can to get to know people and to demonstrate to people uh, that you have a work ethic and some, some uh, ability. Plus, you're just, you know, you can, in, in your way that you can, you can, add, um, you can add value. And um, so you, you just have to get that opportunity. So don't say no to any opportunities in the beginning like that and just make the best of it and do it all with a smile. So, and uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to portray myself as like, Hey, cause it worked for me. I know how to do it. Um, I'm <laughs> just fortunate that it, it has ended up working for me and I'm more, uh, more grateful, I think, than I would say, like, I'm, I'm ready to teach anyone how to do it. Hey, hey, there is no straight line to success. You've worked in multiple votes. You're in the sports industry. Giving back to those who paved the way for yourself. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the pod this evening. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity and I enjoyed the conversation.